0: You know, it'd be kind of fun. I'm guessing if I took the mic around the room this morning, we'd hear more than a few stories about not being prepared for something and regretting that we weren't. And uh, some of your stories might have a serious end to them, and others might be funny. It might be a dream that you've had more than once, like your worst nightmare. You know, and it's a dream You know, it just keeps repeating itself. And in fact, Jeff... Uh, Jeff almost had one of those dreams fulfilled uh, this morning, Uh, and that is Jeff Jeff would I actually sent Jeff a text this week, uh, asking if there was anything that you know he had any experience, any dream that he had that was repeated, that was uh, you know kind of frightening to him, and it was uh, that he would not be prepared for preaching a sermon. Well, I I don't know if you could tell by my voice, but I've been sick. And uh, it really took a bad turn yesterday. In fact, I did something uh, Friday night I haven't done for, I don't know, ever. I went to bed Friday night at 7.30 and woke up at 10.30 uh, Saturday morning. That's 15 hours of sleep. That was, I don't know when I've ever, ever done that. So I sent Jeff a text yesterday, or Jeff sent me a text. He was, knew I was sick and said, how are you doing? And I sent a text back saying, It'll be a minor miracle if I'm going to be preaching tomorrow morning. And I got a text back from Jeff right away saying, I'll come over and make you well. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, uh, but, I, you know, there, there's lots of stories around this room uh, that I bet we, we would have fun just sharing, you know, not being prepared for something. I, I have some memories of that. One of, you know, it's funny some of the things you don't forget. I remember. Back in seventh grade, uh, I had a teacher, a science teacher by the name of Mr. Susan Guth. And uh, he was a basketball coach. It was like his second year. He was was very tall. He He was one of those teachers that really was very popular with all the students. But also, he commanded a certain respect in the classroom. You're very intimidated by him. And he had a rule that whenever he left the room to go someplace, there was to be no talking whatsoever. You know, and I mean, he just drummed this into us, and he threatened our lives. You know, if he caught us, and uh, and and so he. One of these times, he had gone, and we all kind of waited a minute, you know, or two, and and then it slowly started the pandemonium, the the chaos. You know, the talking slowly started building up, and. And so I was really into it. I was in a second from the front row and talking to one of my classmates and laughing, you know, and just really, it was just the noise all over the room. When all of a sudden, I realized I'm the only one talking, you know, nobody else. And I could just feel his presence in the back of the room. And I turned around, and sure enough, he was standing at the door, and he just waved for me to come. And I went out in the hallway, and I had this conversation with Mr. Susan Guth. And, uh, you know, it was just really kind of a frightening experience. I don't know what seventh graders are like now, but we were really intimidated by teachers back then. And uh, what made it even worse for me as he he was talking about, you know, giving me his his little lecture um, was he knew my sister. He went to college with my sister, who was also a teacher, who was also very intimidating. And one of the things he said to me was, your sister... Shirley would be so ashamed of you, you know, as like, okay, I'm sorry. You know. Anyway, he totally got me. But, um, you know, I, th- I think we'd all agree. There was just no question about it. You're always taking a risk when you're not prepared. Every time you're not prepared, you're rolling the dice that what you hope will go well still goes well. And the more you have to lose, the more you gamble, the greater the risk well, we're in the third Sunday of a three-week series, and the second of two letters Peter wrote to some of the earliest followers of Christ, and he gives three warnings in this letter, and with each one, the huge risk that, they, that they're facing if they don't listen to what he's saying to them, if they don't heed it, and I would just, I would just say, if you missed the first two sermons, I, I would strongly encourage you to, to go online and, and watch them. You know, I've I, You've heard me say many times that the book of Romans is my favorite book. And my second favorite book in the Bible is the Gospel of Luke. But I have discovered over the last couple of weeks that my third favorite book in the Bible is 2 Peter. And I think I th- one of the things you, you realize is that it seems like Scripture... Uh, becomes especially meaningful to you, certain portions of Scripture at different points in your life. And I, I've read Second Peter many, many times, but I've never had it impact my life like it has in the last two weeks. Well, the third warning, the, the one we're coming to today, points to the risk of not preparing for the return of, of Jesus Christ. I mean, think of anything that that you haven't been prepared for in life. And I, I would say that there isn't anything that could possibly come close to not being prepared for the return of the eternal Son of God. Now, last, last Sunday evening, I, I was thinking about these three sermons. And I, I was asking myself, is there any one of these three warnings that Peter gives that I would say is the most serious And after thinking about it, I decided, you know, I really don't know if I'd put one above the other. They they are three risks that you really do not want to take. The risk of all three is so great, both in terms of, of consequences during our lifetime on this earth, but also for ultimately, really, for all of eternity. But if I had to choose, if I really had to choose which one, it would be the one we're talking about this morning the risk of not preparing for the return of, of Jesus and and I would say only because the gamble you're taking with this has has no second chance there there there's no time to make a course correction with this one there there will be no do-overs with this so we'll begin reading uh today's scripture and and then we'll see why I why I believe this is true and why this is such a, a dangerous risk. Why, really? It's 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 total recklessness to roll the dice on. So let's let's. Uh, I'm gonna read the scripture. I'm, and it's uh, you've all got an insert with the scripture in your um, uh, uh, service program. But I'm gonna begin reading at verse three with this statement. Peter writes, "Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come." scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. Now, this is Peter's answer. He said, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as As some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. I, I, I don't think any one of us would have any doubt that there's some very intense statements in this scripture, you might be going, "Oh, really? <laughs> yeah." Um, you might even you might even say, "Listen, Steve, what you just read is beyond intense. This is just terribly scary stuff, and I don't like it." I mean, that I could understand why you would have that kind of a response. It is very clear that Paul, Peter is writing about the destruction of this earth as we know it. Not only this, but the inevitable judgment mankind and I mean you can't miss a statement like the one Peter made in verse 7 when he when he said this by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly I mean those words fire judgment destruction I mean intense descriptors of what's coming the same is true with what Peter wrote in verse 10 with this statement he said, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Listen to that. Heavens disappearing with a roar. Elements destroyed by fire. What? What we're talking about is the destruction of the sun and the moon, the stars and the planets, and and this earth and all of what man's done. Peter said, all of our our accomplishments, everything we've created, totally laid bare in a moment of time. I read an article yesterday, in yesterday's paper about Yellowstone Park, having... One of the world's largest volcanoes. Did you know that? I never. I, I didn't realize that. And if it erupted, if it erupted, it would eject a thousand times more material than Mount St. Helens did back in 1980. And I. I mean, I got to tell everybody. Beck and I, when one of our trips out to see Nikki, we, we went on Mount St. Helens a few years after that earthquake and the devastation that we saw imagine a thousand times that and and what that article said is that it would be a disaster on a global scale <laughs> all of this is mind blowing i mean in a certain way it's incomprehensible but really what what's most important and what you and i cannot miss if if we're to benefit from this third chapter is that what Peter's writing about in these verses really centers on one thing? It's a, it's a five word phrase that gets to the heart of what this entire universe, including you and me, are created for. And it's Peter's description of this day in verse 10 as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. This, uh, this is a, a, a description that is repeated many times throughout the Old Testament. The prophets used it over and over again. Jesus himself used it whenever he spoke of his return to this earth. And I think it gives us this big truth to grab onto this, on this morning. This is the big truth that I want us to walk away with, and it's this, preparing for Christ's returns, making every day his day, making every day His day. Really, this is where to begin. If if we're going to be able to understand and benefit from what Peter's written in this chapter, it it, it changes our whole perspective of Christ's return from one of dread and fear to one of purpose and hope and joy. And so the question to ask, really, is, is why did the Old Testament prophets? And why did Jesus and why did Peter call Judgment Day the day of the Lord? Why is it called this? Well, let's think about this for a moment. If if someone comes to you and says to you, this is your day. This is your day. What do they mean? Well... It means that it's a very significant day in your life. It, it could be the day you're graduating from high school or college or the day you're getting married or the day you, you, you receive an award for something that, that really is significant that you've achieved in your life. Whenever this is used to describe a person's day, it means that something unusual is happening in their lives. And on that day, they're in the spotlight and everyone who knows them falls out of their normal relationship with them. And for that one day, everything revolves around that person. Their accomplishments, what's happened in their life, is the focus of everybody's attention. Their needs are uppermost in everybody's mind. Their interests are put first. It's their day for that one day. Now, I experienced this last week on Saturday, my birthday. I got the sweetest Early morning text from Becky's 89-year-old mom. and I mean, I just love that. 89 years old and she's texting. That's the first text I got in the morning. I, I got another one from Jeff a, a, a bit later, and more texts and phone calls throughout the day. And best thing of all, guess what was absolutely the best thing of all on my birthday that Becky made for me? Ah. Lemon pie. No, no. And and not only did she do that, but does anybody else ever have this struggle that you go through, like you always feel like every day you should accomplish something? Anybody have that feeling? I'm only one. All right. But, you know, Becky said to me right away in the morning, don't feel like you got to do a single thing. Just relax. And I was just like, oh, man, what a gift. Can I really do that? You know, absolutely. And I did. It's just a great day, okay? This is what we're talking about with the day of the Lord. It's his day. His day to do what he wants to do. It totally belongs to him to do whatever he knows is the best and the right thing to do in all of creation and in your life and in my life. And the best thing of all, it's a day that, that's never going to end. Never going to end. No question, no question, it's a, it's a day when human history as we know it will end, as Peter so vividly describes in this chapter. But most important of all, it's a day when the eternal kingdom of the Son of God begins. See it this way, everybody. And it completely changes how you view it. You know, you know that it is the day when the God who made every day will make everything right which is exactly what peter's pointing to us to in verse 13 when he makes this statement in keeping with his promise we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells where righteousness dwells <clears throat> now here's what's so important For your life and my life. Not only for eternity. Not only for eternity this is important. But for today and the next day and the next day. For every single day of your life. When you see the day of the Lord for what it really is. The day the creator of the universe takes back his creation. Including you and me and restores it to the glory that it was originally built for, when you see this, you won't want to wait until that amazing day for this to begin to happen. You want it to begin happening now. You want every day of your life to be his day. Because the truth is, making every day your day doesn't work. It just does not work. What does work is making every day his day, surrendering yourself to him as Lord, trusting his wisdom to know what's best and what's right for you. Think of it this way. It's like your life is a play, and instead of seeing yourself in the lead... And everything working according to the script that you've written for your life, you know you can't write the script and you can't be in the lead. You know that you've got to give the lead to Jesus and trust him with the script and become and become really become part of his supporting cast. He must be supreme. You must be subservient to him. Everything in your life must revolve around Jesus. There was a man by the name of John, and in Scripture we know him as John the Baptist, who really got this right for his own life. In fact, he was, he was one of Israel's, he was Israel's last prophet, and he was sent to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And he had a powerful ministry and a huge following. If you read Scripture, you, you discover that. And, and, and then Jesus came. And most of the people who had followed John began following Jesus. And this was very upsetting to John's disciples. And so one day they they came to him and they expressed their concern to him. They They said, everybody's going after him, that man. And John said, he must become greater, I must become less. So it's John's way of saying every day is his day. (laughs) And and here's the wonderful irony of this, everybody. The more you make him greater in your life, the greater you become. It's then and only then that you're able to become everything that God created you to be. (laughs) This is what's most important to understand in all of what Peter wrote in that third chapter. It's really the one thing that gives purpose and fulfillment and joy to our lives. Now, you might be sitting out here listening to me and saying, man, I've got no argument with that. I see this. It makes sense that the creator of the universe, the God who gave you life, would would know what's best for your own life. You you, you would say, I totally agree with this. And you would also agree that he should take the lead in your life. And, you know, you you really do want to make each and every day his day. But it might be that there's objections to Christ's return and God's judgment that you've heard. And it's got you wondering, it's got you doubting, asking questions. It's it's possible that that you've heard some of the same objections that people were hearing in Peter's day. And what we find in this third chapter is Peter speaking to to one objection that was most troubling to the men and women receiving his letter. And I've got to tell you, it's one that I've heard multiple times. I'll put it this way. Since it hasn't happened yet, it's not happening. <laughs> Since it's not happening, it hasn't happened yet, it's, it's not happening. Peter, Peter speaks to this beginning in verse 3. He, he said, uh, with this statement, he said, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You might have heard someone say it this way. It's untenable that history will end. It's been going on and on for eons. We we have no idea how long it's been going. I can't believe that it's going to stop and this whole idea of Christ returning to earth and judgment if it was going to happen it would have happened by now Peter gives really the best possible answer I, i'm honestly i'm so impressed it points to two things first creation the fact that everything had a beginning showing that it's possible for it to have an end And second, God's judgment through the flood. Since since God's already judged this world, Peter says, there's every reason to expect it to happen again. Here's what he wrote, verse 5 and 6. He said, but they, the scoffers deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that day was deluged and destroyed. You see, we're faced with two choices. One of two. When it comes to how everything began. One is to believe that this universe and everything in it happened by accident. Where at one moment there was nothing, and, and then without any cost, there was suddenly something that led to everything. The other choice is to believe in a creator. A God who's the cause of everything that exists. A God who created this universe with this remarkable design that we see in it all over the place. A God who created each one of us with purpose and value and an understanding of right and wrong. See, I, I think, think this one through in an intellectually honest way. And you can't help but conclude that there must be a creator which is exactly what Peter's doing in his answers to those skeptical of Christ's returning. He, He doesn't get into all the specifics of how God created. He simply points to the fact of a creator, which means there was a beginning, and both being true shows that it's reasonable to believe that the same God could bring an end to everything. And then he points to the flood. He said it, statement, by these waters, the same waters, also the world of that day, of that time, was deluged and destroyed, okay? Hmm. I got to tell you, I'm going to say it again, I'm so impressed with Peter's strong apologetic in defending God's ultimate judgment of mankind, I just, I read this book, and I I think Never again am I gonna speak disparagingly of a fisherman. Like, what does he know? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I've, for years I've always told people when, when I was in seminary, uh, we would we would love to translate the stuff out of Greek that Peter wrote because he 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 was like a he wrote he wrote very short, simple sentences. And, but anything that Paul wrote, man, that was like a nightmare to translate because he was so brilliant. He was a Ph.D. kind of guy, you know. And I'm just never going to say that again, you know, after, after reading this book. It's powerful apologetic. First of all, he does this by pointing to a creator. And second, by reminding us of God's judgment through the flood. And so there's two things with this, everybody. First of all, I would say, this is where it's good for you to do your homework. And what you'll find is that there is very solid evidence supporting Scripture's description of the flood as a historical fact. But you know what else gives it even greater credibility? Jesus who proved himself to be the son of God by the life he lived, the perfect life he lived, by by the wisdom of what he said, so that everybody ever since has recognized no one ever spoke with such wisdom as Jesus, and by the truth of his resurrection, by the fact that he was was crucified, and three days later he rose from the dead. This Jesus (laughs) uh, spoke of the flood as a fact he talked about his own return to earth. This is is what he said. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day. What what that means is life will be going on as normal up until the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. (laughs) Jesus says, This is a fact. Jesus is referring to it as as something that really did happen. Um, Peter's whole point, again, is since God brought judgment in the past, there's every reason to expect that God is going to do the same thing again. Peter Peter also has a second, uh, I think, a great answer to this objection. Again, just to remind you what the objection is. Since it hasn't happened yet, it's not happening. I, I love Peter's second answer. It's, it's one that points us to the grace of God. In fact, it's, you could, someone might say, this is like my favorite verses in Scripture. This, this is what he said. He said, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay? One of the interesting things about time is that it's always relative to your perspective. For example, uh, children are often impatient because their perspective is so truncated, okay? For example, ask a child, and I, I, I mean this in a really nice way, kids, okay, this I was exactly the same way, okay, ask a child to get a bike because in three weeks it goes on sale. And what seems very logical to you very often totally taxes their patience, you know, like what we think is reasonable patience, they would go and say it's unconscionable slowness. You know? And so if something happens like this, and I'm not saying it always happens this way, so don't misunderstand me, but, but they might say something like this, three weeks, I'll be dead by then. You know? I don't know if, maybe I'm the only one that says something like that, but okay. Peter, Peter is saying this is how it is with our perspective on time compared to God's perspective. One day for us, one 24-hour day for us is like a 1,000 years for God. I mean, there's quite a difference in perspective. And here, don't miss this. this is, here's the incredibly wonderful thing about God's perspective. It's all about God's grace. God's grace in not wanting anyone to perish. And I love how Peter said this uh, in, in, in verse, verse 9. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. <clears throat> Quite a few years ago now, Beck and I took a trip to Israel. It was one of those tour-like trips, way back in, um, in the 90s. And um, you know, you know, uh, it was you know we, where they do the tour buses, and you have a tour guide, and the, all the different stops you make. The guide will talk about what you're seeing and explain it to you. And and so there were there were two buses like this. Has anybody ever been on it on a tour like that with a you know th- uh, you know in, in our country or anywhere? Anybody ever? You, one of the interesting things that's interesting when you're on a tour with a bunch of people and you're on a bu- you know you're taking buses and you're all dependent on each other, um, is that almost invariably, there will be one or two people who will always be late back to the bus, you know? I mean, it's the same two people. Well, we had one of those, one of those people on, on this bus, a woman. And whether we were stopping, whether it was at a, at, a, at a site that we were looking at, you know, and we were seeing all this stuff, or we, let, let's say they stopped at a place where we could buy stuff to remember the trip by. Every single time, we could always count on, everybody's on the bus, everybody's there waiting to go. Cause it was, we were on like a schedule, you know? But sure enough, she wasn't there yet. She was back still looking at stuff or, or buying stuff. And this went on, this was like a 10, 10 day trip we were on. Well, right down to the end of it, okay? Like, I think it's like the second to the last day of this trip. And we're all on the bus again, and I don't know what I was thinking of, okay, but I was actually watching out for this lady, you know, and, and sure enough, she wasn't on the bus. And so I, 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 I hollered up to the bus driver, you know, I can't remember her name, but, you know, so, you know, whatever her name was, she, she's not here yet, she's not, you know, I, I wanted him to know. And it was like, it was all of this pent-up rage within people toward this woman. Because with one voice, I kid you not, with one voice, they all cried out, let her go. (laughs) You know? It was just like, (laughs) it was like funny. I've never forgotten that. You know? Point of story. God doesn't want to let anyone go. God doesn't want anybody to miss the bus, he wants everybody on. Hey, okay? just love that. That's what Peter's saying. So I got a question for you. Why in the Bible? Why in the Bible does God talk to us about Judgment Day? Why does God let us know it's coming? Why doesn't God just make it a surprise for us? Why why doesn't Jesus just show up and say, guess what? I'm here to make everything right. I didn't tell you about it in the Bible. I wanted it to be a surprise for you. Why? Why didn't he do that? Why does God tell us about it? To scare us? Does he tell us all this bad stuff that's going to happen to just like freak us out? Does he tell us this stuff to, to try to get us to make us guess when he's coming back so we do this thing with charts and, and all that kind of stuff? Never. Never. Every time it's brought up in the Bible, it's always brought up to be used, which is exactly what Peter does in these verses. Here's what he said. He said this. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live... Holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God in speed. It's coming. And then he said this, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. See, everyone? Everyone? if you properly hold the day of the Lord in your mind before yourself every day, every day, it will be like an engine changing you in many ways. First of all, as Peter said, it it will make you holy. Everything in you will want to become more and more like Jesus. It will also give give you a confidence and a poise Whatever setback or reversal you're experiencing in life right now, you know it's temporary. You know it's temporary. You, you have this confidence. You, you know that what's in front of you right now isn't the war. It, you can't lose the war. Anything you experience today is just a skirmish. You'll never lose the war. It'll make you forgiving for two reasons. First of all, you know your own sin. You, you really do. And, and when you understand God's patience, how patient God has been with you, I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind sometimes? I mean, if I was God, I would have wiped me out a long time ago, you know? When you understand God's grace in forgiving you and rescuing you from the judgment you deserve, it inspires you to forgive others. The the better you understand the measure of God's forgiveness in your life, the greater the measure of your forgiveness. And second, since you know that in the end, no one will get away with anything, it takes all the pressure off you to make sure the person who wrongs you gets what they deserve. It just takes all the pressure off. It takes away every reason to be a bitter person. And then the last one, I actually just thought of this yesterday. I couldn't believe I missed it. It'll put you on mission. It'll put you on mission. You know, when Noah was building that boat, I bet people were saying to him all the time, Noah, why are you building that boat? And Noah would say, Flood's coming. Floods coming. The judgment of God is coming. In fact, you know what? It's so funny. Here I've read, read, and reread these chapters as been working on these sermons. And I I had this, I couldn't believe I did this. Like, where does it say in the Bible? I think it says somewhere that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so I actually Googled it. You're gonna love this. I actually Googled it. And guess where it's found? In 2 Peter chapter 2. So this statement, Peter is described, or or Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness. See, we can all do that. We can all tell other people about the righteousness of God. And we can all tell other people about the grace of God. And we all should tell other people that there's a day coming when God's going to judge mankind we got to all be know us. Now i got another question for you. Did you know, going back to Mr. Susan Guth, (laughs) did you know that there's two kinds of teachers? Did you know that? There are. (laughs) There's teachers who tell you when they're going to give you the midterm and final test. And then there are teachers who give pop quizzes any time. You never know when, okay? So there's teachers who say at the beginning of the semester that Judgment Day is going to be on this day, and it's going to be on this day, and there are teachers who say to you, it could be any day. <laughs> you know what the good thing is about the second of, the, of those two? Because you know you could be tested any day, you always keep up with the assignment. The Bible says that you and I are to live as if today could be the last day of your life. (laughs) Stephen Covey wrote a book that's become well known. It's a business book or book on life. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the second habit is this. He said Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Isn't that a a beautiful way to look at every day? And if anybody should want to have an effective life during their entire life on this earth, I mean truly an effective life for the glory of God, one that maximizes every day, really, really, the best way to do this is to begin every day thinking it could be the day when Christ returns. See, I'm really convinced if we live this way, the day we stand before God, the Bible's version is he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. My version is he'll say, way to go, way to go, way to go. And so it's true everybody. Here's the big statement. Preparing for Christ's return means making every day his day. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, we'll worship. Okay, Father, I I am so grateful to you to be able to know that someday Jesus, who died for me on the cross, who humbled Himself to such a great extent, that someday He's going to return. And he's going to return, this almighty God, this King of kings, and Lord of lords. Oh, God, I ask that your spirit would just so impress on all of us this wonderful truth that that day's coming, the Lord's day, when he's going to make everything right, everything great for your glory.